0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to continue a new study, our new study through this book that we've titled Christianity 101. Because this book of 1 Peter outlines for us not exceptional Christianity, but rather essential Christianity. It lays out for us the basics of the Christian life and how a Christian, once becoming a Christian, is to rightly relate for the rest of their lives to God, to other believers, to themselves, and to the wider world around them. And what we've been seeing is that Christianity, that is, having a relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus, it all begins with a little thing called being born again of being pushed by God's mercy and power into a new life of spiritual life. And though this might seem obvious, for those of you who have been exposed to the Bible for some time, this simple truth really is quite significant. See, the Christian life does not begin with our work or our efforts or our actions. The Christian life actually begins with God's work, with God's power, and with God's actions in our lives. The story of the gospel, the good news that surrounds Jesus Christ is not a record of man seeing God in all of his glory and choosing to strive to work our way up to him. No, the gospel is a record of God seeing man in all of our sin and shame and coming down to deliver us. That truth is seen no more clearly than in the reality, the biblical reality of being born again. The new birth where God, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, by His supernatural power, makes us alive, spiritually alive, in Christ, and by His miraculous power, causes us to be born again to a new life. This new life that Christians live out on a daily basis, as we're seeing here in 1 Peter, not only begins in such a miraculous way, but it continues in a miraculous way as well. As verse 5 says of 1 Peter chapter 1, we who have, who have been born again are being kept by God's power through faith. And we see what exactly that looks like in verses 6 through 9 of First Peter chapter 1, where we see outlined for us the miraculous everyday moments of true believers. That is, four aspects of the miraculous new birth that every true believer experiences on a daily basis, on a regular basis. The first is that believers are anchored in the truth. Believers are anchored in the truth. That's what God teaches in verse 6, in the beginning of verse 7. Though they live in the midst of trials and testings that threaten to toss them about like waves of the sea, true believers, being kept by God's power, exhibit a supernatural, steadfast peace and a settled joy in the midst of their trials and troubles. Why? Because they are being anchored in the truth by God's power. That's why Peter can say, in this you rejoice, even though now you've been grieved by various trials. True believers can rejoice in the midst of their trials because they've been given, by God's truth, a proper and transcendent view. Not only of their future, but even of their present. We who have been born again have an eternal, indescribable inheritance that can never be taken away from us. And the trials that we're going through, while of course they hurt and always catch us by surprise, are nevertheless temporary, necessary, and purposeful in revealing our faith for the glory of God in this world. And that's what we saw last week. These are the truths that genuine believers anchor themselves upon. And it is this miraculous stability and joy in the midst of life's trials that set us apart from the unsaved world. And just like the Philippian jailer gets the world to ask, what is different about us? When those who are still cut off from Christ go through struggles and hardships, their soul's joy and their peace and their comfort is ripped away from them as their circumstances turn bad. But when we as believers go through the exact same struggles they go through, our soul's joy and peace and comfort ought not to be ripped away because we as believers are anchored by faith on the bedrock of God's truth. Believers are anchored in the truth. Again, not perfectly But characteristically, this is how we live. When struggles come, the believer's first reaction is to turn to the Word of God. And I hope you can say that in your own life, that when you've gone through struggles and hardships and trials, the heart response that you immediately have is to turn to God's Word. What does God have to say about this? That's how a believer reacts. Our first reaction is to turn to the Word of Christ and to look to Him for satisfaction and stability. We look, as Scripture says, not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. That's miraculous. That is miraculous. Though if we're born again, it ought to be commonplace for us. So these are, there are three other miraculous moments that true believers participate in on an everyday basis, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see this morning in verse 7 that true believers are not only anchored in the truth, but they're also anticipating glory. This is another characteristic of those who have been born again. That is, they are confident that what awaits them in eternity is not condemnation, but rather commendation, not wrath from the hand of God, but rather rewards. And therefore they live this life now in assurance of future blessings yet to come. 2nd in verse 8, we'll discover that true believers are also animated by God. That is to say, they will often do things that are so humanly, inexplicable that they can only be explained by the life of God dwelling within them. And then finally in verse 9, we'll be shown that true believers are achieving holiness. Not that they've arrived at it, that only happens when we enter into the glory of God and see Him face to face, but nevertheless we are achieving it. True believers are growing in the holiness that comes through Christ Himself as Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. They're progressively becoming more like Jesus. So beyond being anchored in the truth, we're going to see this morning that in miraculous everyday ways, true believers are anticipating glory, animated by God, and achieving holiness. And so with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1. And I just want to read it from verse 3 into verse 9. For context, the Holy Spirit causes Peter to write these words to us today. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, verse 6. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God whose righteousness is reflected in all his rules towards us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the rich feast of truth that you have set before us today. Father, we thank you for the living hope that has come to us through Christ's resurrection from the dead. We thank you for this new birth. We thank you that you have made us partakers of your own eternal life. To all those who by your grace trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. And that this life that we have received in Jesus is that abundant life where on everyday circumstances you cause us to respond miraculously for your honor and for your glory. Father, help us to learn today what you are doing in our lives as those who have been born again so that we might be able to Reflect that and shine that forth for a world that needs to see the life of Jesus. Father, I pray that even today you would, by your Spirit, take your word and anchor each one of your children today more deeper in the truth. So that we might show the life of Christ those around us. It is for your honor and for the glory of Jesus Christ that we ask all these things. In his name we ask this. Amen. So after stating that true believers, those who have been born again and who are being kept by God's power, are anchored in the truth, Peter then reminds us of another miraculous everyday moment that all true believers characteristically experience and that is that believers are anticipating glory you want to know who among us in this world are those that have been born again they are those who by god's power are anticipating glory that are living for something yet to come Paul, peter says this in 1 peter chapter 1 verse 7 he says so that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, one of the main reasons why God sends us through trials is so that he can reveal to us the true nature of our faith. Whether it is genuine or not, whether we are truly clinging to God, his purposes, his person, and his promises or not. If it's not genuine, and we find that out through our trials, then we'll act just like an unbeliever does. We're going to look for peace and comfort from our misery in something from this world, whether it be money or drugs or liquor or lust or whatever. But if our faith is genuine, then by God's grace... Those who are born again will characteristically rise above those things and grab hold of God by faith and onto his saving promises. We'll demonstrate that our faith is genuine as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, as 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says. Well, here Peter adds to that thought by saying that this type of faith, the type of faith that's been proved genuine because it's endured life's various trials, Remaining dependent on God, this type of faith is precious. In fact, Peter says it is more precious than gold. Now, that is significant because in the ancient world there was nothing more valuable than gold. It was the ultimate standard by which the value of all other currencies and goods in the world were judged and weighed. For example, one Roman gold coin was valued at nearly a fourth of a year's wages. That is about $15,000 in today's economy. But with inflation, it probably is more. So gold is the most valuable thing in the ancient world. Well, here Peter says that genuine faith is more valuable than even gold itself. It's more valuable than the most valuable thing. Why? He gives two reasons. First, because genuine faith is more enduring than gold. Peter reminds us here in verse 7 that gold perishes, even though it's been tested by fire. In other words, even the most pure and refined gold still rusts and corrupts eventually, as James 5.3 teaches. Gold does not last forever, nor does anything that gold buys. But genuine faith... Saving faith, supernatural faith, tested faith endures. As verse 5 already said, it is kept by God's power. In fact, genuine saving faith does more than just endure, it grows. It multiplies. That's way different than gold does. When you send a rough lump of gold through the fire, that lump of gold will come out the other side lessened in size. But if you send genuine faith through the fire, it will be increased. You'll have more faith after the trial than you had before the trial. And so why is genuine faith more valuable than gold? Because genuine faith is more enduring. And second, and this is the main point of verse 7, because genuine faith is more rewarding than gold. It's more rewarding than gold. It doesn't matter how much money you have. I can guarantee you this morning, gold cannot give you assurance of where you stand before God, nor give you an entrance into heaven. Gold cannot give you peace in your heart and let your, let your head touch the pillow in comfort and peace at night. It doesn't matter. Gold cannot give you a present assurance of future glory, no matter how much money you've got in your bank account. But that is exactly what faith gives you. Genuine faith gives you a present assurance of future glory. As Peter says here, we as believers are grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of our faith, end of verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, though genuine faith and submission to Jesus Christ might bring you mocking, and it might bring you scorn, and it might bring you reviling now, it will bring you praise, glory, and honor soon when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven someday, and all God's people are vindicated through their faith in Him. As First Peter four verse thirteen will say later in this letter, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. On that day, it will be shown that faith in Jesus Christ was never, ever, ever anything to be ashamed of because it alone can give you praise and honor and glory for all of eternity. Faith in Christ. We need to remember these rewards when God is testing our faith through trials. And that's why Peter reminds his audience of them here. First, God reminds us that genuine faith is rewarded, he says, with praise That is verbal, listen to this, verbal applause from God himself. That's what Paul states over in Romans 2.29. He says, our praise as believers is not from man, but from God. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 25.21 that all of us as believers live to hear the praise, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We live for that day when it's 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, the Lord comes and each one will receive his commendation from God. Genuine faith is rewarded with praise. Second, genuine faith is rewarded at Christ's coming with glory. That is the glory of God in the image of Christ himself. Peter pray, or Jesus prayed in John 17, 22. He says, the glory that you have given me I give to them. And Colossians 3 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him where? In glory. And Peter himself is going to say later in 1 Peter 5 4 When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The glory of God and the image of Christ himself imparted to you. Genuine faith is rewarded with praise. Remember that when you're going through trial. Genuine faith is rewarded with glory someday. Remember that. And then finally, in the midst of purifying and perfecting and affirming trials, we need to remember that genuine faith is rewarded with honor. I can't believe this when I consider it like with Daniel. To us belongs open shame. And to you, O oh Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. And yet in Christ, for those who are born again and are being kept by God's power and are demonstrating genuine faith, there is honor one day. Romans, 10, uh, Romans 2 verse 10 says that there is glory and honor and peace for everyone who through faith does good. There is glory and honor and immortality. When Jesus comes in fulfillment of all his promises, there will be honor bestowed upon us who don't deserve it. Peter says later in 1 Peter 2, verses 6-7, through whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So the honor is for those of you who believe. For those who do not believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation, there will be shame. As you stand before God in all of your sin, exposed before the eyes of him to whom you must give an account, but for those who have found forgiveness and pardon in the grace that is found through Christ Jesus, there is coming a day when you will stand, not in your sin, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ before God in heaven, and you will be honored. As Jesus said in Revelation 22:12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. And for those who have trusted in him, praise, glory, honor. This ought to take your breath away. Because God alone is worthy of praise, honor, and glory. But when Jesus returns, not only will he receive these things, but Jesus will also be pleased to share his praise, glory, and honor with all those who, through faith, have had their faith in him proved genuine. One day when we see the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith becomes sight, we will in that moment be transformed into the very image of Christ and will at last receive undeserved though sharing in Christ's own eternal praise, eternal glory, and everlasting honor. This is what genuine, supernatural, tested faith gives you. It will one day shower upon you praise, glory, and honor. And God wants to remind us of this today in the midst of our trials here on earth. God wants to remind us that genuine, saving, supernatural, tested faith is more precious than gold itself because it is far more enduring and it is far more rewarding. It ought to be what we live for. Sincere, tested, genuine faith ought to be what we anticipate. And the rewards. Now I have a question for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that tested, genuine, saving faith is the most valuable thing if you're a believer that you possess today? Do you believe that tested, genuine, saving faith is more valuable than even gold? If you do, then I want to challenge you today, as it challenged me this week, then that should change the way you look at and value everything else in your life. Think about it. When we think that wealth is valuable, we tend to look at things that grow our wealth as valuable as well, don't we? Like our job rating scores, or our paychecks, or our tax returns, or our investment plans, or our retirement accounts. We tend to pay a lot of attention attention to those things. Why? Because they affect the things that we view as what? Valuable. Well, once we really begin to think that tested genuine faith is valuable we'll begin to look at the things that grow and affect our faith as valuable also won't we like time in God's word or time in prayer or time developing deep relationships with God's people if we truly believe that tested genuine faith is valuable then we'll begin to look at those things that grow our faith as valuable also and pay renewed attention to them particularly, in Peter's context, trials. Nothing grows and confirms the genuineness of faith quite like trials do. And therefore, if we view our faith as more valuable than gold, then we will, by faith, as James 1.3 says, count it, consider it joy, when we face trials of various kinds. Not because we somehow view the trial itself as pleasurable, but because we faithfully view the trial as valuable, as growing our faith. As Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks wrote, we must begin to view our affliction as but our father's goldsmith working to add pearls to our crown. When we begin to see faith as valuable, then the things that grow our faith and that stretch our faith will be viewed as valuable also, as not pleasurable, but nevertheless profitable. Even trials. Because that's what true believers are living for. And that's what we're anticipating. Glory, not from men, but from God. And listen to this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, as Hebrews teaches. It is impossible to receive praise, glory, and honor from Him. We must have faith. We must have faith. Tested faith. Genuine faith, above all else. Therefore, we ought to be willing and even able to pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 62, verse 2, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Believer, when's the last time you prayed a prayer like that? Whatever it takes, Lord, I want you to test the genuineness of my faith. That's how you grow. That's how you gain The world's most valuable asset. Tested, genuine faith. Tested in genuine faith. So, true believers believers will pray prayers like this because in light of eternal glory, nothing can touch the treasure of a tested faith. The treasure of a tested faith. So true believers are anticipating and living for glory. Next, true believers are animated by God. That's in verse 8. And I believe when Peter wrote this, he was probably writing it with a profound sense of awe and wonder. Peter states this in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Again, I say I believe Peter says this with a profound sense of humility and awe because think about it. Think about who's writing these words. Even though Peter saw Jesus and walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus for over three years, he demonstrated at best often a weak love and a weak faith. Consider, Peter was the one that Jesus had to ask three times, Do you what? Love me. And Peter was also the one that Jesus had to say, Oh, you of little faith. Even after living with Jesus day and night for over three years, Peter still struggled to show love and faith in him. Let that be an encouragement for you. If you struggle in your love and faith for Christ, Peter did too. And he walked with Jesus. Yet, nevertheless, Peter is writing here to an entire generation of Christians who were raising, rising up, who deeply loved the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in him, even though they had never seen Jesus at all. Why, it's hard to show love, and it's hard to trust people that we see. But to show faithful love and faith in someone you haven't ever seen, I think it blew Peter's mind. As someone who walked with Christ, I think it filled with awe. And I think it reminded him, as it ought to remind us today, of how miraculous a believer's everyday life really is. To, as Hebrews 11.1 says, to be firmly assured and convinced of things that we've never seen? How is that possible? (laughs) Right? To be madly in love and dependent on a Savior that we've never even met? How can that be? Answer? It's a miracle. It's called being born again. Our faith, our hope, our love, our life as believers is miraculous. Miraculous. I think that's also why what Peter is saying when he says that those who have been born again rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, believers have a faith and a hope and a love and a joy that can't be expressed and can't be explained by any earthly means. In fact, 1 Peter 4 verse 13 later on is going to indicate that a believer's true suffering for Christ, as, as their suffering increases, their joy rises to meet it. Why? Because as Peter says, they are filled with glory. Jesus is, co- or God is committed to glorifying himself in you, and therefore, if you are genuinely his, he will give you supernatural faith. He will give you supernatural love. He will give you supernatural joy that rises to the occasion because he is invested in glorifying himself in you. In that way, as I was thinking about it, this might be dorky, but believers are a lot like balloons. Right? How does an otherwise inert bag of empty plastic break free from the shackles of this earth and rise unnaturally to the heavens above? How does a balloon rise? Answer, it is filled with helium. Right? Well, how does a believer supernaturally rise to heights of love and faith and joy in the midst of earthly trials? Answer, God fills the believers with his glory. So that in the midst of hardships, they have a supernatural love and they have a supernatural faith and a supernatural joy that rises to the occasion and glorifies God. So that Peter is writing to these persecuted believers and he says, I want you to know, I want you to have a living hope that no matter what God sends you through, He will give you what you need in that hour. He'll give you the love. He'll give you the faith. He'll give you the hope and the joy to glorify Him. No matter the trial, no matter the hardship. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on God who has already bestowed his mercy and grace and new life upon you. Believers are animated by God. This is what Paul himself confessed in Galatians 2.20, a man who knew persecution like I think hardly anyone else when he wrote this. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And again in Philippians 2 verse 13, says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, that's why when intense pressures come into our lives, those who have been born again will often suddenly do remarkable, miraculous things that humanly do not make sense and can only be explained by the life of God within them. Clinging fast in love and faith to a savior they 've never seen, and to his promises that they have yet to behold, that is a miracle. Believers are animated with God, but animated by God, and you will see that in their miraculous faith, hope, love, and joy in the midst of hardship It's every day for a believer who's been, who is for a believer who's born again and kept by god 's power, and yet it is miraculous to borrow tolkien's words, which i 'm showing my geekiness a little bit. Believers, borrowing his words, believers really are amazing creatures. You can learn all their ways in a month, and yet still after a hundred years, they can still surprise you, right? Believers are anchored in the truth. They're anticipating glory. They're animated by God. And then lastly, in conclusion, true believers are achieving holiness. That's in verse 9, where Peter writes this. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That word, obtaining, is in the present tense. In other words, right now, in the present, all true believers are currently in the process of obtaining the outcome of their faith. Right now. And what is the outcome of their faith? Peter says it is the salvation of their souls. Believers are not just those who have been saved. Believers are those who are right now being saved. You say, well, what? (laughs) Being saved from what? The answer is from the power of sin. From the power of sin. See, salvation has a past, it has a present, and it has a future aspect to it. In the past, when we first surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ's saving sovereignty, we were saved at that moment from the penalty of sin, right? There is no condemnation to those who are uh, in Christ Jesus. In the present, when we humbly walk in obedience to Christ, we are being saved in these moments from the power of sin. Reckon yourself indeed alive unto God and dead unto sin, right? Romans chapter 6. And in the future, when we, after many trials, enter into the kingdom of God, we will be saved at that moment from the presence of sin altogether. When we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So we as believers have been saved from sin's penalty... We are being saved from sin's power, and we will be saved from sin's presence one day soon. We are the redeemed, you could put it this way, who have been, are being, and will be saved. And that's what Peter's saying here in First Peter chapter 1. If you're truly born again, you are right now being saved from the power of sin. If you're truly born again right now, sin's power is losing its grip on you. And if you're truly born again, you are slowly by God's Spirit achieving a greater holiness in your life than you were in the past. Now, it's not that you've arrived at holiness. No one will until we enter into glory. But nevertheless, we are on the train track that is leading us towards perfect holiness in the presence of Christ himself. We are we are achieving it, though we haven't arrived at it. That's who believers are. Believers are, as Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, those who are being sanctified. Not in spite of the trials of our lives, but because of the trials of our lives. And that's what Peter's wanting his audience to see. He's wanting these believers to look beyond and beneath the trials of their life, to the end, to the outcome that everything in their life is building up towards, to the full and final salvation of their souls where even their trials had a part to play. Because of these struggles, their faith is being perfected, and they are achieving holiness, the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to such a wondrous life like this. See, these are the miraculous everyday moments of true believers. True believers are those who are anchored in the truth, who are anticipating glory, who are animated by God, and who are achieving holiness. And bear in mind... While this might be convicting for some of us in certain areas, should be, none of us are perfect yet, all of these things were written nevertheless for our encouragement to give us confidence that our faith indeed is genuine. As Jesus said in John 15 verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy even in the midst of trials. While none of us will ever be doing all of these things perfectly, this side of heaven... If we are born again and if we are being kept by God's power, as all true believers are, then we will be doing these things consistently and characteristically. You shall know them by their fruit, as Jesus taught. We will see these everyday miraculous moments in our lives, and in seeing them we can rejoice, knowing that he who began a good work in us will finish it someday. And if these new birth descriptions of being anchored in the truth Anticipating glory, animated by God, and achieving holiness don't seem to match your life at all because of unrepentant sin, perhaps, or an avoidance of God through His Word, throne, or people. And I call on you today to pray and to repent and to turn to the God who alone can bestow the new birth upon sinners and plead with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me the fullness of your joy. If you do that in repentant faith, then the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ promises that your life will be punctuated not only by trials, but also by miraculous everyday moments, moments of supernatural faith, hope, love, and joy for the glory of God and salvation of the lost as we travel as exiles through this world towards our eternal home. Praise God for our new birth and for these miraculous everyday moments that belong to those who've been born again. And this is the word of God from 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until he comes and we obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of the new birth. We thank you that by your great mercy and will you caused us to be born again and you have pushed us into this new life in which we are participants of your own eternal life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you are doing in us even now giving us supernatural faith, hope, love, and joy. Help us, Father, this week by your grace to continue to manifest it to those who are around us. Help us, Father, to be more firmly anchored in the truth. Help us, Father, to be more faithfully anticipating the glory that comes from you. Help us, Father, to be more reliant on you to be animated by the life of Christ within us. And help us, Father, by your grace to be achieving more and more holiness so that the life of Christ may be seen seen in us for his honor and for his glory in this lost and dying world. Help us, Father, to walk faithfully as pilgrims in exiles traveling to our future home. Give us grace, the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus through the new birth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.